You're listening to the Bride Chilla Podcast, helping bride chillas and groom chillas plan their wedding minus the bullshit. One podcast at a time with your host, Alicia McCormack. Well, good day to you wherever you may be. This is Alicia here. I am the founder and host of the Bride Chiller Podcast, and this is episode 366. Slight head cold, but powering through, particularly as I am really excited to share this episode with you. Therapist Susan Pease Goudoir and journalist Vicky Larson a few years ago wrote a book called The New I Do. And what captured my attention was that it wasn't about how we should have our relationships organized, how marriage should be. It was exploring all the alternatives to the the one-size-fits-all box that everyone seems to be put in, that when you get married, you should be like this, and then this should happen, this should... Blah, blah, blah. And really, I think we're all very aware that a lot of marriages don't work because people are trying to conform to a system that's probably considered to be a bit antiquated. So they got together and wrote a book about how we can approach marriage and our future relationships in a way that suit us. They've created a new roadmap to figuring shit out in a way that works. That's not written in the book, but that's what I get from what they do. There are so many takeaways from this interview, and I know listening to it again, I just feel... That however you really feel about your relationship with your partner and whatever stage you might be at, and I know we're probably all planning weddings and we're feeling very excited, but also Bride Chiller, a lot of this is about future planning, making sure that you have established really firm foundations in your relationships to take them to however long they're going to exist. And that's what we also talk about, this idea that, yeah, we all go into marriages, hopefully, with the intention of it being a long-term full-time thing and realistically some people may not uh, last the distance and that's also cool so I hope you listen with an open mind and an open heart and really get what you need out of this episode I know listening back I learned so much and it really changed my perspective on a couple of topics especially surrounding marriage and how we think about it So here it is, my interview with the authors of The New I Do, Susan Pease-Goudoir and Vicky Larson. And the subtitle, I love this, of their book is Reshaping Marriage for Skeptics, Realists and Rebels, which is what you all are, bride chillers and groom chillers. Here we go. Welcome to the show, ladies. Thank you very much, Alicia. (laughs) Thank you, Alicia. (laughs) I'm so delighted to have you on the program. I've been reading lots of wonderful articles on HuffPost and BuzzFeed and all over the place. So now I have you to myself. It's great. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, where did this book come from? And how did it all all happen? Well, this is Susan and... um... It's a, it's a longer story than I'll go into, but basically I have been working with the divorcing population for many years, and I myself didn't get married until I was 43, and in both cases, people looked on those of us who didn't fit into the one-size-fits-all mold and said, what's wrong with you, or you're a failure, hmm. and I it got me thinking that the marriage model that we have currently is a very shame-based model. And I really wanted to try to make a statement about the fact that we need to change it and make it more 
open to a variety of different lifestyles and choices. And Vicky and I um, have crossed paths many times. We live near each other and we both write for Huffington Post and and um, we decided to collaborate and I was so happy to invite her in on this project because she's got a wealth of her own experience personally and professionally and um and we both really just set out to do a bunch of research on how is marriage changing and what needs to change further. And I'll let Vicki tell you her personal experience with that. Yeah. So I um, have been married and divorced twice. I got married the first time um, a few months before my 21st birthday. So I didn't know what I was doing. So, of course, that marriage didn't last long. But the second one lasted for 14 years. And... Um, didn't expect to get divorced, but I did. And then I had two children. Um, so that was different than the first marriage. But people kept talking about my two failed marriages, mm. that there must be something wrong with me because I don't know what commitment is and I don't know how to commit. And it really got me thinking about, well, why is longevity the only marker of a successful marriage? So when Susan approached me with her experiences with divorcing couples, it really resonated. And we, we realized, wow, marriage really is changing. Um, so I was really delighted to be on the project. And it was so much fun to research. I just feel so connected to this book. I, I think it's it's fun. It's It's got so many different uh, avenues, which we're going to talk a lot about. But I've been highlighting, my little highlighter pen's gone nuts this last <laughs> week. <laughs> but I wanted to start, actually, you just brought it up then, Vicky. I highlighted a quote that said, Marriage doesn't have to be an until death do us part agreement, which is still a contract with an expiration date. Death, I like that. Marriage should be considered successful by what it's accomplished, not by how long it lasts. And that, I like double highlighted that because I just feel like we have this obsession with saying, well, we're going to get married and it's going to be forever. And that's bullshit. That's not, it's not realistic at all, is it? Well, it's actually um, in uh, the Pew uh, Research Center uh, here in the States uh, did a study. And in 2013, four out of every 10 newlyweds had been married before, some twice before. So clearly... Many of us don't make it last forever. And it is kind of odd that a marriage that lasts until death is considered successful, even if it's an unhappy marriage and there's no love and there's no sex and maybe it's even full of contempt and anger. And, you know, you have to go. Well, all right, someone died. Yay, it was a success? What? No, it's not a success. Um, and um, so the idea to, to actually make it a purpose-driven marriage seems to make a lot more sense by what the couple decides um, success should be, what their marriage should be about. And, and we live a lot longer when Till Death Do Us Part was implemented. <laughs> it was the year 1215. And wow. we lived to 40 if we were lucky. Um, so that's one other aspect and that we have so much more choice than ever before. And, you know, we need to get rid of the you've made your bed, you have to lie in it mentality. 
you make a big point throughout the book that an unhappy marriage, especially when kids are introduced into it, you people go, I'm going to stay married for the kids. You think actually that's probably doing in a lot of situations a lot more damage than what they think it is. That's what my parents did. And mm. I think that contributed to my not getting married for the first time until I was 43. Yeah. <laughs> it was more a life sentence to be endured than a partnership to be enjoyed. Now, it was it Vicky, your mum, who took off to Florida? <laughs> yes, she did. Can you and, please um, regale my beautiful listeners about your mum's adventures? Because I was like, oh, this is great. It's really funny. But one day um, when my sister, my older sister and I were already in our 20s and out of the house, my mother decided that she had had enough and she bought herself a condo in Florida where my sister was living at the time. And got herself a job at Elizabeth Arden Mm -hmm. and went about creating a life for herself. And she lived apart from my dad for 10 years about. Um, And my dad at the time was still working, so he wasn't ready to retire. And we lived in New York. And his mother was alive and he was taking care of her. Um, But once a a month, he would bring Teddy, our little Yorkie, um, on the plane. And he would spend a long weekend with my mom. And um, they did that for a long time, and uh, I, I, I didn't question her at the time um, because I was in my 20s. I was self-absorbed, <laughs> but afterwards I was like, Mom, what the heck was that about? And she said, well, I've had enough. And uh, they made it for 61 years. My dad eventually came down to join her, and she was living alone together, <laughs> married what they had and um it worked it gave them both their freedom and connection and so now i think of her a little bit as a rebel really (laughs) i did i've read it and went oh my god if that's what you need to do and 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 if that's what works especially for your mum to just say one day that's it i'm moving but yet they stayed together and managed to find some sort of balance i think that's bloody amazing if that's what works do it yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend that people just I'm out um you should really have some conversations about that (laughs) Alicia you just mentioned something very important I believe and that is that we assume that we know what's best for other people by our our single paradigm Mm -hmm. and if somebody wants to live apart together or have an open marriage or just come together to be co-parents, who am I to say that that's not right? Because we do live in a world, and I think the first thing we just talked about just then was this idea that we judge. It's so judgy and so everyone's so concerned in everyone else's business. If everyone, this concept of a normal marriage is something you talk a lot about in the book. There's no such thing as a normal marriage, yet we sort of live under this weird umbrella of a normal marriage in society. It's, it's confusing, yet it makes total sense. Well, yeah, everyone has this mental image of what marriage, quote, unquote, should look like, right? Mm -hmm. Man, woman, house, kids, you know, minivan, oh, God. Um, (laughs) um, (laughs) Why not, man? man, man, (laughs) A woman, woman. um, If for people who, uh, you know, are much more broad-minded and accepting of of same-sex couples, which we, you know, we are, I am, certainly. So it's really hard to think about 
it not looking that way, you know, and that's why we were hopeful that the book would show people that there are lots of ways to be a couple. And and we didn't make up any of the marital models in the book. They are already happening, and we wanted to normalize it, put it out there so people could go, oh, you know, I really like my independence. Maybe, you know, maybe a live-apart-together marriage is something that would really work for my spouse and me because we're both those kind of people. Marriage, as you said just then, it, it, Vicky just said, it's this idea that we are stuck on one form of marriage. We go, well, it's the picket fence. Everyone's happy. We're all living in one place. But we have evolved so much as a community and as a society, yet we are still stuck on this old, this old, yoldy view of marriage. What the hell are we going to have to do to change that? Well, I do believe the millennials are already making quite a statement by saying marriage isn't a priority for us anymore Mm. and putting it off until they're older and more established. And I just believe that certainly with there are more gray divorces. So the baby boomers are rejecting the paradigm of marriage as well or saying, I don't need that to be happy. I mean, the reality is we do not need marriage in the ways that we have needed it. We don't need it to uh, have children. We don't need it for financial security anymore. And it doesn't have the same social status that it once did. And so I think it's just a matter of accepting that this is what we have evolved to. It's a good thing, I believe. It means that we're all stronger as individuals and we don't need the same banding together that we did in order to function. Mm. Certainly, I prefer being married to being single, but it's, it's a preference. It's not something that I have to have in order to have a good life. Most of my listeners are planning a wedding. They're moving into that part of their life where everything is flowery and pretty and wonderful, which is great. And mm-hmm. we've all, the three of us have all been there at some stage. So I suppose, like I said in the intro, a lot of people are listening now probably in complete denial, which is cool. Enjoy it. <laughs> Denial's good. Denial can be sweet, sweet, sweet times. We don't want to burst their bubble. Of course not. And this is exactly what I was going to say. Hopefully people are listening will, well, I think buy the book because this is also such a good read. I've been married for three years and I sat there nodding through a lot of it. But also I I have had in the past a relationship that didn't happen. I was engaged and it got called off and I'm thankful that happened because it would have been, well, it would have been, I suppose I consider it to be what you would call a starter marriage from that relationship. But looking at where my lovely listeners can and can place themselves now, what they can do to strengthen their unions. This is a very big, long question, but what can we do as in that stage of life where you're about to get hitched? Is it too late to change things? Can we start on an even plane? Well, first of all, I agree that they should read the book because we Um, have people think about things that they probably wouldn't think about otherwise, including the concept of doing a prenuptial agreement where, yeah, um, and making it standard practice because what a prenup does is it gets people talking about some of the difficult things. um, And it's a way to set your intention for the marriage. When we interviewed couples who were going into, you know, they were engaged and they were about to be married, 
we really were surprised by how little they had communicated about some important things like sex and having children and expectations around who would be the main breadwinner and things like that. So um, we just want people to have more conversations going in and more conversations throughout the marriage about what each wants from the marriage and from each other. I really like that that chapter on prenuptial agreements because I am going to be honest with you, I think of prenups as cash and it's not. It's not at all. No, it doesn't it, have to be. Yeah. It doesn't have to be. And and actually, I, I know we wrote prenup. I, I, I've had a little change of heart since and I, I'd like to think of it more as a marital plan Ooh. in that you actually ask your partner, you know, what do we want to do in our marriage? Like, where do we see ourselves in three or five years? What if um, someone wants to go back to school? Or what if someone gets a job offer, you know, across the country? Whose job trumps whose? It starts getting couples really to, like, have a roadmap of some of the things that they would like to do in the next few years. And then they then they can go back and revisit it and they can go, you know, how are we doing? Are we, have, are we accomplishing what we said we want to do? Have life circumstances changed where maybe now that plan doesn't work and we need to make adjustments? And it's not to say that you can plan everything in your future because we can't. Life throws all sorts of strange things at us that um, we can't ever possibly anticipate. But at least You've started, you have a baseline of certain hard conversations. And, you know, couples typically fight about, you know, mm-hmm. money, mm. kids, sex, um, household chores. Um, if we're trying to change society, if we're looking for more egalitarian marriages, which I'm imagining a lot of your certainly your younger um, listeners would like, then let's have some talk about those household chores and what's going to happen if we have kids and who's going to be responsible for what because that creates a lot of frustration and anger and resentments in a marriage. And why, let, why, why, even, why not try to nip them in the bud? It's really, I love the concept of the roadmap and I think it's vital for people to have that conversation because what what is fabulous about all the chapters in your book is that it's full, filled with anecdotes from your research and there was one that just came to mind when you were talking about kids. I think a lot of people, when they get engaged and they say, we're going to get married and everything's going to be fine, but if you don't say, I don't think I want to have children or I want to wait five or ten years to have kids and the other partner's sort of going, hey, 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 I thought just we assume I assume we were going to have a baby within the next six months. That's when stuff really goes down. It, it's it's all about being open. And I know it sounds obvious, but gee whiz, people aren't really, are they? No, no. And I think what's happening is people are assuming. Well, of course we're getting married to have children. And I hate to tell you how many people I have come to see me because they're divorcing because. They one wanted children and the other didn't, and they didn't talk about it until after they were married. Wow, you're yeah. right. And and you know, not even just talking about children, but um, because people are marrying later, 
We're seeing a lot of people who need to go through, um, in you know, IVF or yes, assisted yeah. reproduction, and that's a conversation that really should be had too. Um, should we, you know, freeze eggs and em- embryos or in sperm? Um, what if we have to do IVF? How you know, do we have the money to do that, or would we choose to adopt? And to really talk about that, and I know you don't really want to think about it because you just want everything to work out the way that we want it to work out. <laughs> that, that is reality, especially if you're getting married in your 30s. Um, and it's hard, though, because you go, I've got friends who are in their mid-30s who are going on Tinder dates but then going, working their back their biological clock by saying, okay, I need to meet a guy this year and then we'll have one year of a relationship and then I'll have a baby because my eggs are not going to be there anymore. And you go, well, you can't say all that in your Tinder profile. Jesus, that's not how it works. <laughs> That's right. No, but you can say it on a co-parenting website. Yeah, um, and I, I have a confession, Alicia. I want to tell you that um, in so I'm a therapist. I work with divorcing people. My parents were divorced, and yet, um, right after I got married, a colleague of mine. We were at a conference, and she said, "Well, why did you guys get married?" I was. 43 and he was 45 and we weren't going to have children. And I said, well, we love each other. And she said, yeah, but why did you get married? Mm. And I said, I don't know. It's just what you do. And that's not a good reason to go into the greatest commitment of your life and business contract. So I really had a rude awakening of how unconscious I had been in, in marrying how do we, for my listeners who are maybe listening on the train right now and going, oh gosh, I haven't had that conversation, can you give them some guidance about how to start that conversation with their other half when they get home from work tonight and say, listen, I don't think we've had a chat yet. Uh, what's wrong with that? Go for it. Just say, <laughs> you know, look, I, I listened to this great show today and they were talking about <laughs> the fact that we need to to have some conversations about why we're marrying, what we're expecting and take out a piece of paper and write out a roadmap. Yeah. And I feel like if you are hesitant about that, then then maybe that's a good signal that you're not quite on the same page. If you're not able to be open and have that conversation with your partner then obviously that not obviously I hate using that especially therapist here you I can't say the word obviously can we there Susan um <laughs> but it's probably a warning sign internally that you're concerned about something uh, yeah that's a great point that is a great point and um you know having these kind of conversations hard conversations sometimes might actually make you reassess the whole situation and it might get you out of a bad situation. And I hope that isn't, um, you know, true for your listeners, um, you know, the majority of them. Um, but it does kind of put you face to face with some tough stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say that you shouldn't go into, you know, plan your wedding with the absolute joy and look forward to your marriage. Um, all of that is wonderful. But if you don't want to end up divorced, have that now. Uh, I, I remember that there was a, a, a book that came out. Um, we referenced it in our book. And she heard from like 30% of the women she heard from knew when they were walking down the aisle that they were marrying the wrong person. Wowzers. Um, 
which isn't fair to him. And I imagine that there are some men who are doing that too. But the thing is, well, we've been together so long, or all the arrangements are made, and I can't, you know, I can't stop it now. You really, you want to avoid that. You do. I think things, having cancelled a wedding before in my past, I think, you know, everything can be returned, debts can be paid off, but it's it's so much better jumping out of something or having at least a bit of a pause than getting into something that's going to be hard to get out of. No question. This is Bride Chiller, and there will be more with Susan and Vicky after this. When we send our wedding invitations and think about our stationery, it can really shape the theme and the tone of your wedding, which is why I was so delighted to receive in the post this week. This, listen to this paper, oh, it's so good. These are some fabulous samples from our friends at newspaperclub.com who have come up with a delicious way for you to design and create your very own wedding newspaper. These are super fun alternatives to traditional stationery and I know chillers are always looking for ways to stand out or convey all that information that you have to tell your guests and family and friends about your wedding celebrations. This is a really creative way for you to express your personality and add an individual touch to the day. I have to tell you, opening that envelope and reading this newspaper, this sample newspaper they sent me, I was like, my God, this is so fun and clever and I laughed and I loved touching the paper. It was memorable. That's what it was. It was memorable. They offer flexible print runs. You can order one copy or one million copies. Gee, they'd be happy if you ordered a million copies. This would really come through for them. You don't need to have design experience. They have a bunch of free templates. I went online and played with it. It's drag and drop. So simple. And the good thing is you can use the newspapers for invitations, order of service and programs when your guests arrive. You can uh, do thank yous. You can print all of your beautiful wedding photos and send the newspaper as a thank you, which is a really great way to share a bunch of different photographs and stories and memories from your wedding day. Newspaperclub.com have now printed over 12 million newspapers for thousands of customers all over the world. And I think this is a great idea. And I think this is a fabulous idea for our chillers to embrace. Order your free samples at newspaperclub.com and you will get 20% off your order, which is up to a $100 discount. All you need to do is use the promo code BRIDECHILLER to get 20% off your order at newspaperclub.com. That's the magic code word bride chiller and get writing. Chillers, I'm sure sticker shock is something that affects us every day, especially when we are wedding planning. And when it comes to wedding jewellery, looking at rings and beautiful items that you will hopefully wear for a very long time, we want to invest in quality and just gorgeous design that really suits our personality and will hopefully become an heirloom in your family. If you are wedding ring shopping and you are exhausted from looking at the markups and dealing with middlemen when it comes to traditional jewellery retailers, then I am delighted to introduce you to Noemi. They have pioneered their process from modelling and designing their jewellery to sourcing and then creating, and then they sell directly to you. 
As I'm sure if you've listened to the show, you know that I am really ethically minded, especially with the people and the businesses that I partner with. And what really excited me, as well as just creating gorgeous jewellery that I want to own every single piece that they make. And I have actually purchased a ring and I'm very excited to share that with you. However, as well as all of that... Noemi use reclaimed 18 karat gold. They also work with conflict-free stones and lab-grown diamonds, which give you so much choice when it comes to designing your own jewellery and creating something that is meaningful, but also that you know comes from a good place. Noemi makes your experience completely risk-free. You can get a lifetime warranty, free overnight shipping. That means you can have your ring tomorrow. Order today get it tomorrow and free returns for a full refund they will guarantee also that you won't find better quality jewelry at a lower price anywhere in the world that's a good guarantee head to hellonoemi.com that is h-e-l-l-o-n-o-e-m-i-e noemi is spelt n-o-e-m-i-e Dot com. That's hellonoemi.com and use the promo code BRIDECHILLER for $75 off any wedding band today. Bridechiller and Noemi making lovely, long, long memories together. In the first part of this podcast, we talked about modern marriage, what it means to get hitched and stay hitched or not. Now we're moving on to the fun stuff, what you'll be doing post-wedding after the confetti has settled, the hangovers are gone, and it's just you and him or she and her or him and him for the next, I don't know, one to 60 years, depending on how well it goes. So you talk about marrying more consciously and creatively. What do you mean by that? Um, I think that what we're saying is that previously, maybe the past 200 years, we've gone into marriage for reasons that we weren't even necessarily sure why we were doing it. Certainly tradition, um, I I have a saying, tradition, trance, or trend. And um, tradition is one you're supposed to be married. It's expected. Trend, all my friends are getting married, so I need to get married. And trance, I don't know why I'm doing it. It's just what you do. You do get I've got lots of friends that have just gotten to that stage, and I was one of them. I'm so happy to own this to go. Oh, we've been together for seven years. What do we do now? And you hear this little, little, you hear the little, uh, this sort of, and you think, okay, <laughs> let's get married. Right. And, and you know, it's interesting, as Susan touched on, but um, marriage was, uh, it was a duty um, in, you know, my grandparents' day and even in my parents' day. Um, you were, there. if you were an unmarried woman by age 23, there was, problems. Um, You really probably couldn't even support yourself. Women really needed to depend on on men. Um, You know, back earlier on, I mean, they they were men's property. So we thankfully don't marry that way anymore. So before, there weren't really very many options for couples. 
And as a matter of fact, my father's sister married to get out of the house, which is what a lot of, when she was 18, yeah. when that's, which is what a lot of women did. Um, so they went from one house, they didn't want to be in that family anymore, so they thought they were getting freedom. Well, they ended up having a, a husband, which may or may not have created freedom for them. But we are not doing that anymore. So it really is important for couples, for individuals to go, why do I want to get married? Why? Because if you figure out why do I want to get married, you will then know, well, which of the models that are in the book would, would suit you. You know, if you're if you're marrying for safety or for kids or for you know uh, freedom, which is would be a lot uh, marriage, um, then you'd be geared toward a marriage that's going to fit better for you. So it's really important. Why do we get married at all in the first place? And now, I mean, besides, I think we could probably set aside people that are religious get married because of their religious beliefs. But then the other greater proportion of society who don't really stand by any of that sort of yoldy stuff anymore, why are we still even going to get hitched legally doing all that stuff? Why don't we just live together and just chill out? We're wired as human beings to couple and... um you know, the the social construct of marriage is one that does provide a structure, and there's a lot of benefit to the structure. For one thing, there are statistics showing that there are fewer crimes committed when people are married. There's fewer, less mental, mental illness, better um, education scores, and there are many benefits of marriage because it provides a solid foundation. The other thing about marriage, and one of the reasons we do advocate marriage as opposed to just living together is that there are legal benefits that you don't really know or understand until you get divorced. Mm. And then you realize that you had some protections. I've got a woman now who was living with her boyfriend. They have two children together. And while he's certainly responsible to take care of his children, he's not responsible to take care of her the way he would be if they were married. So there there are many, many benefits to marriage. You talk about redefining marriage. Uh, in, and in one part of the book, I love this quote, you actually call for an Occupy Marriage movement. I mean, I would turn up. I would put my tent up. <laughs> Can you explain what that means? I feel like it'd be, I mean, I loved the the 1% people that were against that, but I feel like Occupy marriage might be a bit of a, I don't know, a classier movement, but no judgment. (laughs) So basically, when we're saying Occupy marriage, another way to say that is question tradition. We do so many things just blindly, like carrying flowers down the aisle. Yes. Do you have any idea why we do that, Alicia? Oh, no, just to get more money for people. No, it's because <laughs> in the 1200s, they took a bath once a year. And so oh. it, the flowers hid the, the body odor. The stinky. So there are many things like that that we do that we just do because it, it people before us did it. Mm. And we are saying, let's stop doing that. That's unconscious. Yes. We want people to say, why am I doing it this way? Do I need to do it this way? Does that suit us? I talk a lot about on the podcast this idea of a perfect wedding. Wedding magazines and a lot of blogs as well 
place so much emphasis on the look of a day and making it look like a Pinterest board, but have so little time for actually, in the same way they do with celebrity magazines, so little time for actually looking at substance and relationships and actual people and feelings it's all about bunting and bloody uh color boards and blah 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 and yeah i know i talk about that stuff but i also feel quite strongly against the idea that that's all it's about absolutely who doesn't want to throw a party a party is wonderful yeah you know why not it is a big day um and you've got all your loved ones there but um you know, I wish that, you know, yeah, some of that energy went into like, okay, well, then how are we going to live after? <laughs> of course. It is there a- can be something with that too, can't there be? <laughs> Bunting you know, every day. We, we joke, Vicky and I joke about the fact that Huffington Post has a weddings page and a divorce page, but they don't have a marriage page. <gasps> That's true. What's up with that? Yeah. Oh, well, I'll be tweeting them that. Don't you worry. <laughs> I love just reading quotes back from your book to you. Obviously, you've written it, so you know this, but my listeners don't. I love this this quote here. 10% of first marriages don't make it to the fifth year. Shit. That's all I've got to say. Shit. I didn't even... That's... Sorry to use the swears, but I have to. <laughs> my first one didn't, and uh, it, it's it's... You know, it lasted more than what seventy-eight days. Is that what um, yeah, Kim Kardashian, yeah, a celebrity? Yeah. Yep. But um, yeah, and that probably has something to do with the thirty percent of women walking down the aisle who knew that they were marrying the wrong person, um, but did it anyway. It's interesting you said that we had dinner with a friend the other night, and I'm sure she won't mind me saying this, but she is going through a divorce now, and she said it's you know it's been a year or a bit over a year, and we were having quite a candid conversation, and she said, "Look, I have just come to the realization that I knew he was not right when we got married. It wasn't right, but I was so worried of letting my parents down and letting everyone else down. I just went through with it and really tried to make the most of the marriage, but it didn't work. And I was thinking about in the book, you do talk about getting, being guided by family and being not necessarily pressured, but this idea of not wanting to let people down and, and thinking, well, this is the right thing to do. It seems obvious, but I think a lot of people still are persuaded that way in my family um my mother gave basically more money and attention to my siblings who had children i got married late and this was before having a child with a co-parent was really an option um and so there there are all kinds of ways there are overt and covert ways that my family told me i was not as acceptable um because i didn't get married and didn't have children until I was older. Yeah, and and who doesn't go to a family get-together on the holidays or whatever uh, and like, so, what do you guys, <laughs> you know, well, they're so. Oh, are you still a loser? Yes. <laughs> I am and not then, a loser. And then, then, you know, you're friends start getting married and they start to, you know, it's like bunnies reproducing. It's one after the other. And you look at yourself and you go, what's wrong with me? Why, why am I not, you know, doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Um, even for the people who really are happy single or in a happy relationship living together or whatever, they start to feel something's really wrong with me. And so there is all of these external and even internal pressures to do what 
we think is normal. After writing this book, I mean, there's so much, again, I can, can't I can't encourage people enough to purchase this book. I think it would be a really good gift, actually. Um, but after writing this book, where do you both stand on marriage now? A bit of a big, broad question to end our conversation with. When, when you get a marriage license, all it does is give you entry to the financial and legal protections and perks. It doesn't tell you you have to be monogamous. It doesn't tell you you have to live together. It doesn't tell you you have to have kids or not have kids. What we would really like to see is couples to realize that they can individualize their marriage so that they can decide what will be a successful marriage for them. And when more people start realizing that, you'll see a lot more happier couples Oh, and that's all we can ask for. Just happy. You're only here for a certain amount of time. Just make the most of it. Be with people you want to be with and do whatever the hell you want to do as long as it doesn't hurt other people. Exactly. Put that on the back of your book. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It's been such a pleasure spending this time with you. The new I Do, Reshaping Marriage for Skeptics, Realists and Rebels, is available on Amazon and in all good bookshops and bad bookshops. And... (laughs) (laughs) good book in a bad bookshop fine buy it's like it's like it's like the worst home on the best street or whatever you don't care who cares just buy the book (laughs) don't care where you're buying it from susan and vicky and uh gosh i could speak to you all day just come and live with me you're fabulous (laughs) well you're a lot of fun alicia thank you oh thanks so much alicia we had a great time oh it's terrific thank you (laughs) and of course my lovely bride chillers if you want to read today's show notes all you need to do is go to thebridechiller.com it's where you'll find all the information about susan and vicky's book and also connect with other previous episodes of bride chiller that might be helpful to you and learn a little bit more about what i do that is thebridechiller.com and of course you can purchase your bride chiller guides the field guide the survival guide and the maid chiller manual via that link as well until next week's episode of bride chiller i bid you all happy days the bride chiller podcast telling chair covers to get fucked since 2014 when i first started to write the bride chiller survival guide our ultimate wedding planning guide i had no idea that i would also be writing the bride chiller field guide our companion filler outable planner which turned out to be even more of an interesting journey than the survival guide both are about 250 pages of wedding planning goodness and uh, they go perfectly as a pair I would say the best combo since tequila and bad decisions. Woo, don't know about that. What is fabulous about these books is that you, my lovely Bride Chiller community members and listeners, contributed so much to how they look, how they feel, the tone and the information that you wanted to receive when reading a wedding planning guide. So I have to say a big thank you to all our wonderful members and I'm very proud to share these books with you. To grab your copies, we ship internationally. All you need to do is visit bridechillerstore.com. We've got an amazing pack with both of the books and a Happy Days tote. A very good deal, if I do say so myself. Happy Days.